listener production. Hello, Gisners, um, particularly any brand new Gisners who may be joining us for the very first time because we know that a lot of you listen to Abby Chatfield's fabulous podcast, It's A Lot, mm-hmm. and she recently shared an episode of Just The Gist that she was the highlight of um, in her feed. So you may have heard us there for the very first time. Welcome to the Gisner family. Also, some of you may have heard Tommy Little talking about... A little friend of the show, Tommy Little. Mm, You might have heard him. You may have heard of (laughs) Tommy and Carrie. Um, Tommy was telling Carrie about the SS Yongala after having listened to Mm -hmm. Just the Gist. I had no idea he was such a Gist nerd as well, but apparently he listens to the show when he goes on his runs. So yeah, some of you may be joining us for the very first time. and Welcome. Um, yes, welcome. Uh, we are doing things a little bit differently these days. Uh, Lindsay and I are holding the fort with some fabulous guests um, until Rosie Waterland comes back on board, which we're still not entirely sure how long that's going to be. And I would never, ever share any of her medical information without her sharing it first. But I will just tell you when she's ready to share what's gone on, however much or little it is, she could write an entire book based (laughs) on um, some of the medical experiences she's had in just the last 12 months alone. Mm -hmm. Um, It's honestly been surreal. It's continued to sort of escalate and escalate. I will leave that to her to share with you. Um, Thank you for all of you sending her best wishes and warmest regards and healing vibes. Um, Hopefully they will pay off sometime soon and we'll keep you updated on when she's going to be back. And speaking of updates, mm-hmm. Miss Elizabeth Holmes. Our friend, another friend of the podcast. Long-term friend. One of our um, very early episodes was about Elizabeth Holmes and the scam she pulled with Theranos. And we have been waiting mm-hmm. for years for her to finally be sentenced after facing trial earlier this year. The sentence was handed down. A lot of you probably know 11 years in prison. Uh, we don't yet know how much money she's going to be um forced to pay as restitution. But yeah, 11 years in prison and it's kind of likely if she appeals, then it looks like she could end up getting more time because this was a relatively conservative sentence the judge passed down. So Prosecutors were pushing for 15. Mm. She was hoping for 18 months at home. Which is a bit of a stretch, Elizabeth. (laughs) Look, she's ambitious. Yeah. We know that about our girl. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I responded to so many people who sent that through mm-hmm. to the DM saying, look, um, as though we could have possibly missed it. My standard response was good. Yeah. Yes, justice needed to be served here. She did a very, very, very bad thing. She put a lot of people at risk um, for the sake of her ego and for money. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, Every time I have to go and get a blood test, which is my least favourite activity in the entire world, mm. I think I wish she'd pulled it off. Ah, uh, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe if she just had a bit more money. And just one more, more investment. Yeah, finally <laughs> then given her the chance to keep going. Um, yeah, sceptical that that's ever going to be something <laughs> that we see happen in our lifetime. Uh, but yeah, of course, this week with our special guest, Annabelle Lee, we've got the story of a different kind of criminal who... Much more likeable. Yes, the vast majority of people in Germany and around Europe who knew of his exploits uh, were big, big fans of his to the point that they were making, selling, purchasing 
merchandise <laughs> celebrating him and his wild antics, which you're about to hear about. He was an extortionist and he did put people's <laughs> lives at risk. Um, but as you'll hear... He had a bit of fun. It was kind of comical and cartoonish and that therefore made him quite lovable. So please enjoy the story of Dagobert, the DuckTales bandit, mm-hmm. Germany's most beloved extortionist. Bye-bye. Hello, Gistners. Welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. Rosie's still taking a bit of time out to look after her health and lucky us, we've had some fantastic special guest hosts who've been coming on board to enjoy our silly little stories. And this week's guest is the gorgeous, fabulous, wonderful Miss Annabelle Lee from the Shameless podcast and, of course, her own little project that she's going to be telling you about in case you missed it. Annabelle, welcome to Just the Gist. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. This is like my first interstate remote recording before, so I'm a bit like, a bit spooked. I'm like, oh, you guys aren't in the room, but I can see you. (laughs) I feel your presence here and that might be because I was listening to you on the way here. <laughs> I feel like people recognize my laugh a lot because I tend to giggle mm. plenty on that on that show. So you might hear a, a few little giggles in this episode, if you're lucky. <laughs> there, there's one right there. <laughs> I get comments like that the first time that I kept my mic on in one of these episodes. It might have actually even been Zara's episode and all the comments on the Instagram post that weekend were like, can anyone hear someone laughing in the background? Mm. Like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Who is that? Well, because you want to be responsive, but you don't want to mm. interrupt. Mm-hmm. So you just laugh to make sure your presence is known. Mm-hmm. Well, laughter is very much appreciated on this show. So let loose. Um, So, Annabelle, please, if you wouldn't mind, could you give us just the gist of who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Annabelle. I am the producer of Shameless Podcast, so that Mm -hmm. means that I I, I do a lot of editing behind the scenes. I edit Shameless, Mm -hmm. I edit Scandals, we also do a monthly book club, and I also host Shameless Media's podcast, Everybody Has a Secret. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the premise is... Um, listeners submit their deepest, darkest secrets to us that they've mm-hmm. never told anyone before. Mm-hmm. And me and my co-host hear it for the first time as we're recording and we kind of react and try and give thoughtful, mm-hmm. considered, and also kind of like we try and keep it light as well when we can, when the secrets demand that. And we, um, mm. yeah, when the secrets demand that, we try and keep it light. But yeah, we hear it for the first time. We try and give advice and it it is a lot of fun. And yeah. we've got, we have like Louis Hansen, we have Samantha Andrew and Tony Lodge mm-hmm. on this season. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. And your fabulous producer as well, Justine. She Justine does. Landis Hanley. Oh, Justine, I tell her this all the time. And she's probably sick of hearing it, but she's like one of the smartest people that I know. Mm. So we are very lucky to have her on every episode as well. Mm. It's funny, when I first started listening to it, I was like, this is made up. Someone's been <laughs> this secret, but it's, it's just made up. Maybe it was Annabelle who made it up herself. But no, Justine actually gets in contact with the people who send in the submissions, right? Yes. So Justine does a lot of the pre-production work she does like and Mission Zara as well do a lot of the pre-production work where they get in contact with these secret keepers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interviewing and conversations that go on behind the scenes. I've heard that too. A lot of the um, comments on a lot of social media mm. videos say like, I'm, I swear this is made up. This mm. can't be true. But no, everything we hear on the show is completely true mm. from real life people. Their identities are just kept anonymous because of course that needs to be done for a show like this. Mm. But yeah, a lot of work goes into the show and I'm so grateful for the team that we, that we all work together for it. And mm. yeah, it's, it's amazing. 
Okay, let's go ahead and get into this little story I'm going to be telling you today. It is the tale of a very creative German man, creative like yourself, you might say. Um, He decided to use that creative flair to change the course of his life and get rich quick by doing crimes. And because his approach to crime was so creative and because he adopted the name of an iconic cartoon character as his alias, he became a deeply treasured folk hero and national celebrity in Germany. This is just the gist of the DuckTales bandit. This is something you know nothing about, right? Absolutely nothing. So I'm I'm all ears. Coming in fresh. Um, Yeah, this is a pretty niche story. Let's go right ahead. So things kicked off in 1988. A man called Arno Funke, who was 38 years old at the time, was living in Berlin. He was divorced. He was depressed. He was pretty much flat broke. He was just falling headfirst into a midlife crisis. He was working a few different jobs, just menial things really, like painting cars, doing a bit of sign writing. It really wasn't the vision he had for himself growing up because he'd been this really talented kid. He was a really gifted artist. He was super smart and he was great with gadgets and chemistry and mechanics and things like that. He had Mm -hmm. so much potential, but he just never quite found the right path for himself and he was becoming quite miserable. So he decided to take control, change his life and become an extortionist. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) His plan was to get enough money for himself to be able to set up a sausage vending food truck business. Apparently there was a shortage of those in Berlin and he'd spotted the gap in the market. And he gave himself permission to break laws to make this sausage, uh, sausage, (laughs) to make this sausage truck dream come true. But he resolved to maintain a personal code of ethics. He would only take money from very wealthy businesses and he would never do physical harm to anybody. And he came up with this scheme to extort a fancy department store in Berlin out of half a million Deutschmark. Wow. The scheme was elegantly simple. He was just going to plant a homemade pipe bomb in the department store with a timer set to explode very late at night so there'd be no one there, no one would get hurt. And then once that explosion had got the attention of the owners of the store, he'd send them a letter saying, give me half a mil or there will be more bombs. And then he'd take that money and off he'd go and start his little sausage business. Simple, right? Simple. Okay, yes. (laughs) He got to work. He taught himself how to make a bomb. The first bomb he planted was a fizzer, but the second bomb went off with a very, very big bang that did hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage inside that fancy department store. Did it? How much of the department store did it destroy? The entire sports department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did so. it destroy like the foundations of the building or just like interior? Uh, just interior stuff and mostly the merchandise. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So he absolutely got the store owner's undivided attention as well as the attention of the police. He sent his letter of demands to the store, said he wanted half a million in unmarked notes or there'd be more explosions. And the letter said he'd follow up with a phone call. Everyone agreed they should comply with the blackmailer's demands, but the police were pretty sure they'd be able to catch this guy without too much trouble when they were handing over the money to him. Arno made his follow-up call from a payphone using a voice distorter and arranged the delivery of his ransom. And again, 
his instructions were fairly simple. He just wanted them to put the cash in a bag, take the bag on a specific train he told them to board, and then he was going to use a two-way radio to tell them when to throw the bag out the window of the train. And the cops set up a plan to try to turn this into a sting operation. They organised helicopters to follow the train on its progress. There were plainclothes cops in every carriage looking out for suspicious people who might be accomplices. Meanwhile, Arno nervously waited in the woods for the train to approach the drop-off point. He tried to calm himself down by sipping on a litre bottle of vodka and then when the train got close, he said through the radio, this is the blackmailer speaking, so the money out now. <laughs> and they tossed... That was very the- diehard of you. <laughs> <laughs> Schwarzenegger-ish, I yeah. thought. Yeah. Uh, they tossed the bag as instructed and Arno stumbled over to pick it up and he bolted off. Once the cops knew the coordinates of where the drop happened, they started circling in from nearby areas. The helicopter searchlights tried to track the blackmailer as he was fleeing, but he was just too slippery. They lost him. He got away with 500,000 Deutschmark, just as he'd hoped. He'd scored enough funds to start a new life for himself in that sausage truck. But before he got to that, he kicked things off this new era with a holiday. And that holiday ended up lasting for two full years. (laughs) He met and married his second wife on that trip. And when he took her back to Germany to settle down, they had a son. Where was this holiday? All around Asia and Europe. Mm -hmm. Wow, you really know a lot about this story. (laughs) (laughs) I always do quite a deep dive. Um, Yeah, and it was in the Philippines that he met his wife Mm -hmm. and brought her back to Germany with him. So within a year of getting back, all of Arno's money was gone and he still had not got around to buying that sausage truck. He was in a worse financial situation than he'd been in before the first extortion because now he had a family he had to provide for. This left him no choice. He was going to have to do some more extorting. Left him no choice except to... (laughs) He had no other options. Getting a job is not an option. None. Mm -mm, So mm -mm. he doesn't have a job. Like he works... He doesn't work at all. He was on welfare at this stage, yes. So really, really meagre income. And he'd run out of all that extra play money that he'd scored for himself. So by this point, he'd only done one heist. Just the one. Okay. And four years have passed. It's now 1992. He picked another fancy department store, this time in Hamburg, and he planted a bomb in the luxury vase department this time. Mm. The bomb exploded overnight. He sent his ransom letter and said, the next time will be a really serious catastrophe unless you give me a full one million Deutschmark this time. Okay. And And how much was a million Deutschmarks like in today's money? I found that really difficult to find. Mm. 1992 converted to euros because obviously they went from the mark to the euro, Mm -hmm. converted into Aussie dollars. I'm sorry I can't give you that, but let's just say it's a lot. Okay. And what an interesting decision to choose like a vase shop because the mess that that would make after a bomb... That's just, that's just rude. <laughs> because they had such expensive um, porcelain artworks mm. there, he wanted to go for a really high value spot. So they understood that he really meant business. Yeah. And he was going to do some serious destruction. And he said, look, if you want to avoid further explosions, the next step from here is you let me know that you're willing to comply with my demands by running an ad in the newspaper that says, Uncle Dagobert greets his nephews. <laughs> Once I see that, I'll get in touch to give you more instructions from there. Now, Uncle Dagobert is 
not familiar to most of us uh, when I just say those two words. Uh, but when I tell you, you will hopefully recognise this name. Uncle Dagobert is a Disney cartoon character. He is the German version of Scrooge McDuck. Ah. Do you remember DuckTales? Did yes, you I do remember DuckTales. Uh-huh. Scrooge McDuck. Which mm-hmm. I, is is DuckTales the one with Donald Duck? Donald Duck is in that, along with his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and then his Scottish uncle Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> right, 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 right. Lindsay, do you you are also a master of accents, Jacob. Oh shush! <laughs> I'll stop at you. <laughs> no, I I don't think that I ever watched it. It was really popular in the late. 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s. I definitely watched it as a kid. I think it was a Saturday morning cartoon mm. sort of thing. Um, and Scrooge McDuck originally was meant to be this sort of grumpy, miserly antagonist, hence why he's got the name Scrooge, like Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Um, but people really warmed to him quite early on, so then he became quite a fun-loving kind of character. Mm-hmm. But he's known for the fact that he is the richest person in the world, despite the fact mm-hmm. that he's very clearly a duck. Um, <laughs> but he's super, super, super stingy. Um, Mm. and they develop the character into something they call an adventure capitalist because he goes on all these different escapades, adventures, exploring the world to try to score more money Mm. for himself. Why did Arno pick Scrooge McDuck slash Dagobert Duck as this reference for that message? Pretty simply, just because he was planning to get the cops to deposit his ransom in his son's duffel bag that had the Dagobert McDuck character printed on it. Make sense? Yes. Okay. Immediately after the second bomb went off and the department store ran the Dagobert greets his nephew's message, the cops, the media, the entire country started referring to this mysterious blackmail bomber as Dagobert and they connected pretty quickly the 1988 bombing to him, as well as this most recent one. Were people scared? Uh, He had said that he wasn't going to plant any bombs anywhere that people could get hurt Mm -hmm. in one of his messages. Um, I think the people who were most scared were the ones who were looking at losing a lot of Mm. money or seeing their insurance payments, premiums, whatever they're called, go up. Um, You'll see how the sentiment towards Dagobert starts okay. to emerge as he gains a bit more fame. I have a question. Yeah. Does his family know what he's doing? Like, does his wife know that he's the one behind all of these? Oh, Absolutely okay, so no idea. He is doing this in secret. So right. as soon as Everybody he decides- has a secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is a doozy. Uh, yeah, when he'd made the decision that he was going to get back into extortion, he took out a lease on um, a shed in someone's backyard in a neighbouring suburb, which he converted into his lab where he could make his pipe bombs and then some of the devices we're about to learn about that he got Ooh. to inventing. Because over the last four years, Arno had been thinking about how to upgrade his little operation. This time around, he was going to put a sort of tech nerd spin on the protocol for the drop-off. He instructed the cops to go to the woods, find a box. Inside the box, they'd find that specially modified bag, the bag with the Dagobert picture on it. But who cares about the picture, really? (laughs) He'd rigged a bag with an electric magnet and he told them to use that magnet to attach the bag to the back of the train. 
He was going to hide in the woods somewhere along the railway tracks, wait for the train to get near him, and then he'd use a remote control to turn off the electromagnet. So then the bag would just drop to the ground and he could swoop in and collect it. And the cops, he thought, wouldn't be able to tell that the bag had detached. So they'd have had they'd have no idea mm-hmm. when um, the bag lost contact with the train. That's very convoluted. Quite. So complicated. He's starting to get a little bit maybe overcomplicated, mm. you could mm. say. Especially because the plan didn't go according to plan on the first try because the cops misunderstood those instructions and they just tied the bag to the train with a bit of rope. (laughs) So when Arno turned the magnet off, it didn't fall and the bag just kept dangling off the back of the train all the way to its final destination. Arno called up again with his voice distorter and tried to contain his rage and said, "Okay, let's try this again. They gave it another go a few days later. Arno pressed the button on his remote control. The bag dropped from the back of the train, as he'd hoped, and as soon as it did, the train stopped, the police poured out of the carriages, and they spotted the mysterious blackmailer Dagobert holding the bag and wearing this great big grey Andy Warhol wig and giant black (laughs) sunglasses to disguise himself. He spotted them coming towards him and bolted. They ran. They started firing their guns in the air, telling him to stop, but he got away once again. Oh, God, this guy's good. Mm. I mean, I don't want to condone this behaviour, but he knows what he's doing. He's just getting started, honey. Ah. Uh, To his dismay, though, when he got home and opened the bag with the DuckTales logo, he found it contained only 4,000 Deutschmark of real money, and the rest was just wads of newspapers. They had ripped him off. And how much money had swindled. he requested? One million. Oh, so 4,000 to one million. Oh, yeah. 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 He'd been shortchanged. And he was not happy about it, so he planted another bomb in another store as a way of showing them that he really meant business, sent another threatening letter and said there were plenty more bombs where those came from if he didn't get real cash the next time. And this is now when the hijinks really start to kick off and get very cartoonish. (laughs) Over the next two years, this pattern emerged and continued where Dagobert would detonate bombs, send ransom letters with his latest demands, sometimes up to one and a half million Deutschmark. He'd liaise with the cops and the store owners and plan these increasingly elaborate drop-offs to get him the cash. Naturally, the cops always treated those drop-offs as their best opportunity to set traps to catch Arno. Sometimes their traps were just as convoluted as his schemes he'd come up with, and he'd always end up escaping quite narrowly. It was comical, like literally could have been the plot of a comic book and a lot of the attempts were very much like episodes of cartoon shows and because it was all so silly, so odd, so entertaining, every twist and development was closely covered by the media across Germany and around the world. This Dagobert DuckTales bandit became a folk hero with a huge fan base. And the two of you might end up becoming fans of his <laughs> as well along the way. Can I ask what the political climate was like in Germany mm-hmm. at this time? Are you asking because of the fall of the Berlin Wall around yeah, this time? Yeah, like yep. what was the kind of mood? Very good question. So the Berlin Wall had come down a couple of years mm-hmm. earlier and Germany had been united and corruption was rife. Um, so there was lots of white-collar crime going on at the time that people found incredibly frustrating. So it was almost refreshing mm. to have someone who was just doing good old-fashioned extortion instead <laughs> of 
you know, cooking the books in the shadows and doing shady deals behind closed doors. Um, and economically as well, everyone was really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of living was going through the roof and rent was especially expensive. That was part of what was making life difficult for Arno because it was a really tough time in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that sort of inspired mm-hmm. some of the love that people had for this guy, that he was sticking it to the man yeah. and that he was robbing from such massive, wealthy capitalist organisations. Yeah. yeah, like Robin Hood. Yes, except he was keeping the money for himself. <laughs> yes. And so every time he was doing these like small little heists, was mm. he getting the money or was were they shortchanging him still and, and ripping him off? Good question. It's a mix. So there were uh. some times where they'd be like, okay, he's not going to get away this time. We shouldn't even bother with the actual cash. We'll just go with newspaper once again. And then other times where they would give him the cash. Sometimes he'd make off with the bag of real cash or fake cash and sometimes he wouldn't. Uh, I guess to bait him, to keep him going. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. And it happened more than 20 times <gasps> over the course what? of two years that Dagobert crossed paths with the cops and then made a narrow, narrow escape. It started off with just throwing a bag out of the train window and it just continued to get sillier. It's uh, very like um, catch me if you can kind of energy. Mm-hmm. But how were they not catching him after 20 times? Oh. I'm sorry, it must be hard to, to find a criminal, but still, come on, guys. He's always a few steps ahead of them. All right, I'll give you some <laughs> of my favourite examples because Please. there are more than 20, obviously, can't go through all of them. But I'll tell you about the grip bin to begin with. Uh, so this time around, Dagobert instructed the cops to put the ransom money in a roadside grit bin. So in places where it snows, they need to be able to put sand and gravel on the road fairly regularly when it gets icy so they can stop cars from sliding all over the place. So the curb is dotted with these bins full of grit for the council to use to spread out on the streets as necessary. Dagobert told the police he wanted them to drop off his next cash delivery in a specific grit bin on a street in Berlin and he would then go there to collect it. And they were like, okay, this guy's really getting cocky now. If he's indicating he's willing to walk out into the open on the street to collect the cash from a grit bin and he still thinks he's going to be able to escape... He's become even more arrogant than we thought and we're going to use that to our advantage. So they put bags full of cash exactly where Dagobert had instructed, but to outsmart him, they rigged the bin up with a motion sensor alarm, then went and hid, waiting for their guy to show up, watching the grit bin without even blinking. And then an hour later, the motion sensor alarm started screaming, but they could all see the Mm. bin and there was definitely no one there and they figured it must be a faulty alarm or something. So a few of them went over to reset the alarm and immediately when they opened up the bin, they saw not only were the bags of cash gone, (laughs) they could see all the way to the floor of the Berlin sewer. (laughs) Turned out Dagobert had meticulously made that grit bin replica himself. So it looked just like an official council grit bin, but he'd built it with a false bottom and then placed it over the top of a manhole that led down into the sewer. So when that motion detector alarm went off, it was because Dagobert from down in the sewer had reached up into the bin and pulled out the bags and pulled them down through the manhole and off he ran. Wow. They went down into the sewer hoping they might be able to find some traces of him. He was long gone, but this is one of those occasions where he left behind the bags because once he opened them again, they were filled with oh, fake no. cash. That must suck. All that work yeah. for nothing. Yes. Walking away empty-handed. 
So, of course, he had to plant another bomb to remind them just how serious he was. The cops then had to explain all of this at a press conference, which brought them very deep, deep shame. But it delighted the public to hear about Dagobert's latest escape and how clever he'd been (laughs) to come up with this plan and then execute it so brilliantly to fool all of those cops who were there on this mission. The whole country pretty much was rooting for him. There was so interesting. Um, A radio station did a survey asking whose side are you on, Dagobert's or the cops? Well over two-thirds of people said Dagobert for sure. He'd become this anti-hero because he was so clever and he was so original and they just vibed with his rebellious spirit, I guess. (laughs) Everyone on the TV, everyone on radio was talking about him and his fans could express their fondness for Dagobert by buying merchandise. So he's like a proper celebrity. That's right. Yeah. All around Germany, people were making and selling and wearing I Am Dagobert t-shirts and mugs and bumper stickers. Musicians were writing songs about him that even sometimes sampled in audio recordings of Dagobert's voice that the cops had released to the public. (laughs) He was everywhere. He was Germany's most beloved and also most wanted man. All the police in the country were told to be on call around the clock in case they got information about the whereabouts of Dagobert. They set up a dedicated team to study the Dagobert comic books and the cartoon to see if that might give them some clues to be able to track him down or identify him. And they also set up a tip hotline. They offered a reward of 100,000 Deutschmark to anyone who could provide information that led to the arrest of Dagobert. And they got tens of thousands of tips from all over the country, a lot of which were completely fake because people (laughs) just wanted to tie the cops up Mm. in circles and delay them by taking them down these wild goose chases, um, hoping that they would never actually catch the real Dagobert. And there were some other people who just made tips up, hoping that they'd be able to score some of the cash. So that was... In no way helpful. In fact, it was very counterproductive for the cops to have done that. Also, quite naively, the cops invited the press to start coming along and watching their attempts to catch Dagobert. Every time they came up with a plan for how they were going to trap this guy at a drop-off, they were certain this would be their lucky day. They were going to catch their guy this time. And so they wanted photographers and journalists to be there to document their moment of triumph. Instead, the reporters got to witness Dagobert outwit, outplay, outsmart the cops again and again and again. And one of the most famous examples that still comes up was one time the cops set up a bit of a trap down by the riverside. And when Dagobert showed up, the cops ran at him but he managed to sort of dodge and weave and then run off. And then one of the cops ran faster than him, so he caught up and he managed to actually get his hands on Dagobert. But then he slipped on (gasps) something and face-planted on the ground and Dagobert ran off, managed to get to his bike and then just speed off into the night. Now that cop swore to anyone who asked that he slipped on a wet leaf, but the reporters (laughs) who were there were like... No, no, that was a dog turd. You definitely slipped in a dog turd. And because dog turds just objectively funny 
funnier. Anyway, <laughs> we are going to go with you slipped over in dog shit and let the most wanted man in Germany go. Oh, what are the chances? So now that cop had a real vendetta against this Dagobert character because he'd sort of become a national laughing stock. The entire police force, you could argue, had become a laughing stock. The cops were getting very, very frustrated about the situation they were in, and so they decided to try using some clever devices of their own to win at this little game of cat and mouse with Mr Dagobert. One time the cops put a thunderclap device in one of the bags of cash, kind of like a booby trap they were setting for him. So the goal was Dagobert would open the bag and this bomb would release a huge bang and a blinding white light. He'd be completely stunned and that would then give the cops enough time to be able to circle in on him and capture him. They dropped the bag, they waited for Dagobert to take the bait, but somehow he just had this incredible intuition of smelling a trap that he was going to fall into. So he bolted without even touching the bag, which meant that the cops now had this major safety issue to deal with because they had this unexploded, (laughs) very temperamental device um, that they were going to have to do some sort of... Controlled detonation of, and they had an audience of reporters and photographers standing around shaking their heads <laughs> at this further failure of the police department. I'm so embarrassed for them. I'm like, I've got secondhand <laughs> embarrassment for them. <laughs> um, it was a real thorn in their sides, but he was always very, very polite with the police in all of his communications, written and over the phone. He never used any insults. He was always very well-mannered, respectful, courteous when he was making these grand (laughs) threats to blow shit up. Sometimes he would get spooked before a drop-off when his little spidey senses told him it was maybe a bit too risky. And in those cases, he just wouldn't show up. He'd stand the cops up. One time he actually even bailed because it was raining and the plan involved hiding in the sewer again and he knew it was just going to be too gross on that particular day. (laughs) Whenever he stood them up, he'd send them an apology letter saying, so sorry, I wasn't able to make it, and then (laughs) invite them to reschedule in the next few weeks. Why do I love this guy? Why am I rooting for him? (laughs) We all are. He's really, really lovable. Um, One of my favourite capers is um, the little mini train that he built for one of the loot drop-offs. He designed and built a battery-powered miniature railway car. So it was this carriage. It sat on proper railway tracks and he set it up on an abandoned stretch of railroad just outside the outskirts of town. It was just this little train carriage that was big enough to carry one bag full of one and a half million dollars in cash. Make sense? Yes. Got a mental picture? Mm Mm-hmm. He told the cops the coordinates to go and find that little engine that could that he'd made himself and instructed them to put the bag of money on the miniature train and then press the big green button. The cops followed those instructions and when they hit that big green button, off the train shot along the tracks. The cops started chasing after it on foot, but as they ran... They triggered all these trip wires that set off dozens of fireworks all around them. Oh, my gosh. They heard all that loud banging and thought, oh, my God, it's gunfire. So they hit the ground, whereas the (laughs) bravest slash stupidest of them just kept running because they were so desperate to catch this Dagobert bastard who was making them look so bad. But they just couldn't keep up with the little train. That's how fast it was moving. So this was almost the perfect plan. 
but that little train derailed at the last minute. It was oh. only like 15 metres away from where Dagobert was waiting to collect it. Oh. When it derailed, the bag fell off and cash exploded out of it. For that reason, a lot of Dagobert's fans, and he does have a lot of them to this day, um, they are certain the cops must have put a little bomb on the train with the money bag and that's what sent it off the rails. Oh kind of speculation, but just have the visual of there was cash mm. everywhere, spread out all over the forest floor. And Dagobert could have frantically tried to gather up as much of it as he could before the cops got too close, but he could hear helicopters coming towards him. They had their searchlights on and he decided it was just too much of a risk. Too risky, yeah. And you know what? He could always set up another convoluted scheme. He had nothing else to do. And like, is he even doing it for the money at this point or just for like the fun times? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a combination of the both, (laughs) but I actually think it's more so the latter. He's getting so much satisfaction. And the fame as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He had some really exciting plans coming up down the track at that point he was actually building his own submarine that he was going to use in a future caper what can't this guy do god he wasn't planning on slowing down but unfortunately he got sloppy and he got caught in april of 1994 and which was how long since the first bomb went off two years okay or six if you count the very first mm. one in 1988 um it was relatively simple to catch him in the end, uh, one of the cops that Dagobert would speak to when he'd call up to make demands managed to charm him into slightly longer and longer conversations when he'd ring up. That officer would act very amicable, act like they were friends, make jokes. So Dagobert sort of wound up feeling safe enough to talk on the phone for over two minutes, which then meant that they were able to trace the call to a phone booth. And they were able to snatch him then and there while he was chatting to a cop on the (laughs) other end. Um, He surrendered. He went peacefully. He just went, yep, it's me. I'm Dagobert. Oops, I guess I just got (laughs) sloppy. This was huge news across Germany. Dagobert's true identity could finally be revealed. And it turned out he was just an ordinary guy. There was nothing cartoonish about him. He'd been built up so much in people's minds. They were expecting something a bit like the Riddler or the Joker, you know, one of those super villains. But it turned out he was just a 44-year-old mm. dad from the outskirts of Berlin. I wonder if this is going to be like when we finally find out who Banksy is. He's going to be a... Oh, yeah. year old a bit dad. of a... Oh. Or even like, this is so different, but like Celeb Spellcheck. Who are they? Oh. <laughs> Who could you be? I have a question that yeah. I don't know if it's like an easy answer, mm. but do you know how much money he got from like his, um, like the shirts and stuff he would sell? Oh, sorry. Um, he wasn't the one making the merchandise. Oh, that would have right. given him away. No. That a, makes lot a lot of people <laughs> who were fans were like, I'm going to cash in on this and right. I'm going to set up my okay, own little yeah, enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he wasn't making anything from the merch himself at that point. I don't know why I feel bad. Like, did he end up even stealing that much money? Mm. Uh, he ended up getting his hands on, I think it was 2.4 million mark. In the end, oh, okay. across so he's the successful money drops. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and in terms of bombs he detonated, I think the total ended up being eight that actually went off in that okay. time. Yeah, And not one person was ever hurt? A couple of people one time, oh, no. but only very, very, very minorly. 
Um, and oh, that was so something that Dagobert really, really regretted, but he'd reached a point where he felt like his threats were not being taken seriously and he was starting to get the runaround from the cops. And so that was the first and only time that he planted a bomb to go off during the day. He tried to plant it somewhere where it shouldn't have been close enough to hurt anybody, but as chance would have it, people were close enough to be affected by the bomb blast. One person lost hearing in one of their ears. Oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, he's very, very, very regretful of that. He really doesn't care, though, about all the luxury merchandise he destroyed <laughs> over the course of years. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, the funny thing was, when he was captured at that time, a movie about him was already in pre-production. And when the scriptwriters found out about this Arno Funke guy who'd just been arrested, the real Dagobert, they were able to quickly rewrite their ending and completely rewrite the character to make it match closer to reality. What's the film called? Can we watch it? So the movie, it was a made-for-TV movie. The best kinds of movies. <laughs> yeah. It was released that year. He was captured in 1994, and it's called The Phantom, The Hunt for Dagobert. If okay. anyone can find a way to get us that movie, we would absolutely love your assistance on that one. I would love to watch it. Mm. Uh, the cops around the country had a massive party, like a day of celebration. A They'd party? Finally They'd won failed the for war. two years. <laughs> But their nightmare had come to an end and even though they'd lost battle after battle after battle, they'd won the war, they had special bottles of beer and champagne made up that had Scrooge McDuck um, (laughs) stickers pasted on them and they were sitting in the fridge waiting, waiting, waiting for two years until this day finally came along. Turned out some of the cops even recognised Arno Funke because they'd met him at a New Year's Eve party just a few months earlier. And they'd be like, I never, ever, ever would have guessed it was him. (laughs) So the cops were very, very happy, whereas the cult of Dagobert that had emerged across the nation was a bit crushed that it was all over. Mm. The fun had come to an end. And it made things that much sadder when the cops revealed what they'd found when they raided Dagobert's lab where he made all his gadgets because they could tell he was planning some really wacky cartoonish antics in the future. He'd almost finished that mini submarine he was building. He was tinkering with some gadgets that could disrupt electronic devices and electronic fields. There were way more fireworks waiting to be used, as well as costumes and modified briefcases with secret compartments all just waiting to be put to use in future plans. He had so much entertainment left to give the world, but alas, it was not to be. Wow. The good news was for them, though, all of those artefacts ended up on display in the police museum in Hamburg a few years later. So you can go and actually see the submarine, see the briefcase, see some of the... Let's go, guys. We should go. (laughs) (laughs) Then his trial came around. And when he showed up to that trial, he had crowds of fans outside, many of them holding signs and wearing T-shirts saying, freedom for Dagobert. And when he (laughs) took the stand, he was really witty, really charismatic, which very much undermined the plea that he wasn't responsible for his own actions because he'd suffered severe brain damage from inhaling all those fumes at his old work when he was spray painting cars. That was the the sort of straw he was clutching at, hoping that the judge would be lenient on him. Didn't work. He was found guilty of some very serious crimes and sentenced to seven years in prison. 
He appealed, which was very unwise of him to do because then his sentence just got bumped up to nine years. Oh, no. But then when he got to jail, he got a standing ovation from all the other inmates. He, like everyone, he was loved in particular by um, the criminal community. They all really looked up to him. Um, So he had a fairly comfortable time in prison. He only served six years of his sentence. And while he was still there behind bars, he finally landed his dream job. He scored a gig as, as a satirical cartoonist Mm -hmm. for a really popular magazine, which is something that he'd sort of dreamt of since he was a little kid. He finally got to put his artistic talents to use. Then when he was released in 2000, the cops knew there was going to be a huge mob of fans there waiting for him. So they announced to the public the wrong date for the release and Mm. snuck him out early without a fuss. And then this is when the love-hate relationship with the media began because... Straight away, once they found out that he was already out, this sort of race began for um, all the different media outlets wanting to be the first person to talk to Dagobert and to get exclusives from him. He said he really didn't want to talk to the press at all about his time as Dagobert because he didn't want to make it seem. This is so oddly hypocritical. Mm. He said he didn't want to get paid for selling his story to magazines because he didn't want it to seem like he was benefiting from his crimes. Mm -hmm. The whole point of his crimes was benefiting. (laughs) To benefit from them. (laughs) Financially. So that really doesn't make any sense to me. Um, So the excuse he mostly gave was he wanted to focus on his work as an artist and as an author. And so if anyone wanted to speak to him, they could only talk about the future and not about the past. His wife didn't feel the same way. Mm -hmm. As soon Mm -hmm. as he was court, they split up and she sold her story as well as a lot of exclusive photographs. Um, So she made a decent amount of cash and good on her. We love to see that. Yes. (laughs) Um, Of course, no one gave a shit about his art that much or his... um, Was he successful as a cartoonist? Uh, As far as cartoonists Mm. for magazines can go. Yes. I can't list any famous cartoonists off the top of my head, so. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Lunig is the only one I can think of. Yeah, I guess it was Mm. the 90s, so like print production Mm. still existed at that point, so at least there was a place for him to work, but still a little bit niche. Mm. There was still this major fascination with his time as Mm. Dagobert, so that just overshadowed everything else he was trying to do, cartoons and otherwise. According to him, the paparazzi were endless and, um, you know, he really over-dramatised things when he said that being chased by the media is even worse than being hunted by the police. He's okay, one person Princess who's Diana. Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, but gradually he started opening up to interviews, uh, which turned out to be really, really good for his legacy because he is so likeable. Like, he's a really funny, sweet, charming guy. When you watch him in interviews, you cannot help but like him. Then a few years later, in 2004, he was invited to be part of a TV show in England called The Heist. And the concept of this show was bringing together a few reformed master criminals from all around the world, and they got them to team up and steal things, like steal artwork, steal Mm. racehorses, and try not to get caught. And it was kind of like a test of the security systems Mm. of all these, you know, supposedly high-security places that um, contain high-value items. He ended up being a real fan favourite on that. He was, like, made 
for TV. So then a few years later, he was invited to come on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, <laughs> which was filmed here in Australia. And no way. he was really, really popular there as well. So that sort of kept his fame alive in Germany. And shortly after that, he went on to write a book, of course, called My Life as Dagobert. And the cover is him wearing a Scrooge McDuck mask peeping out from behind a brick wall. (laughs) And since then, he's appeared in a documentary and he keeps doing interviews. And in those interviews, without fail, at some point, he'll give the opportunity to moan about the fact that everyone just wants to talk about his time as Dagobert. No one wants to hear (laughs) about my artworks or my books or my exhibitions. So I guess that's ended up being the real punishment for him uh, for those crimes he committed Mm. 20-ish years ago. But he loves it. He loves the fame. Come on, Dagobert. He totally does, yeah. He (laughs) pretends like it's such a chore and such a bore. Um, But he loves the fact that he is still a national hero to this day. I really want to watch him, like, in an interview. I want to see what the Mm. charm is actually like. Ooh, okay. Well, I'll send you some links and I'll put them in the show notes so Mm -hmm. you can get an idea for what he's like when he's got a camera in front of him. I want to Google him. I want to see what he looks like. How do I spell his name? A-R-N-O. A-R-N-O. F-U-N-K-E. F-U-N-K-E. There he is. Yeah, is he a cutie? Tell us, Lindsay. (laughs) Um... <laughs> you can Google too if you want. He's not my Google. type. He looks just like a like you said, Jacob. His identity was revealed, and everyone was like, "Oh, he's a forty-five year old dad." He looks like a forty-five year old dad. Okay, yeah, just a regular guy. Yeah, with quite the personality. Mm-hmm. If you so, so we all like unanimously love him. Is that? I mean, like, because he hurt people. That's what's confusing. But he feels bad about hurting those people. <laughs> yeah. I think I would have liked him more if he went out on more of a high, if he just like went to prison and then just peaced out and didn't try and milk this for years and years later. Mm, if he just maintained some sort of quiet dignity. Yeah. 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 Going on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out yeah. of Here did sort of tarnish <laughs> the reputation for me a little bit. But, like, um, it makes sense for him because the money was probably good and he, he seems to be chasing the money, so right. it all checks out. Yeah. He did split some of his fee for going on that show <laughs> with one of the department stores that he'd bombed. Oh. Like, oh. I, I don't really know. I couldn't find whether he'd been ordered to pay a certain amount of restitution, yeah. so I don't know whether this was voluntary or enforced all those years later. Um, but, yeah, he gave them... 20 or 30,000 euros mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, this is oh, this is also interesting. This is like kind of a sidebar. But um, on this week's episode of Everybody Has a Secret, we talk about stealing. <laughs> Someone submits a secret about like, I steal from, you know, supermarkets like Coles. <laughs> Am I like a shit person? Yada, yada, yada. And we've been having all these conversations in the office about like what you would do. A, oh, actually, I'm going to pose a question to you. Okay. <laughs> if your close friend came to you and said, I've been stealing from you every now and then for the past couple of years. Oh. I've realised it's terrible. Um, I'm sorry, I'm coming clean. Would you still be friends with them? <sighs> Big mm. ethical question, hey. Gosh, I mean, there's so much context you've got to take into mm. consideration. I can't wait to listen to this episode because mm. I'm sure you've packed it full of context. I've really just derailed this conversation. conversation. No, no, no. I think it's really interesting and I'm sure all the listeners will be thinking the same thing. Yeah. I, think, I mean, it really does depend on the friend. It really does depend on what their motivation was. 
Um, I think maybe even the methods and the amounts. Yeah. I don't know how much of a difference. I think if they were owning up to it and coming from a place of like, I've done this, I recognise it's a mistake, I don't want to do it any longer, then probably. Mm. I think I would prefer that to catching them and Mm. then have them try and cover up. Mm. So I think that I could imagine myself, again, depending on all the context of who it was and how Mm. much and how they did it, but I could imagine myself forgiving them. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I agree with all of that. And also, Mm. like you were saying, it depends on the friendship. Like if they were one of my closest friends and they came at it from like a, I think X, Y, Z are the reasons why I'm doing this. Mm. And there's like a way to move forward from it. I feel like I would forgive them. But tying it back in with this secret, I just think it's interesting because like the whole point of, of Arno stealing from the big corporations is that he didn't Mm. want to actually hurt anyone that it would actually hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like similarly with the stuff that we talk about on the show sometimes, secret keepers are coming at it from a similar mindset. Mm. Like I don't want to steal from friends and family. This listener, we we, we listened, we heard from two listeners. One of them stole from corporations. Mm -hmm. Another one stole from friends and family. Mm -hmm. And it's just really interesting to think about like what makes stealing wrong Mm. because like clearly people are rooting for this Arno guy Mm. because Mm -hmm. he made it fun and interesting and he wasn't really hurting anyone besides the people that he actually physically hurt. Mm. That's a sidebar. Mm -hmm. But it's just so interesting because I actually don't think stealing is a huge thing for some people when no real individuals are being hurt. Mm. Yeah, I think it is a slippery slope though. Um, not maybe not slippery slope is the right word, but I think it's just an interesting ethical question to pose around where you stand on stealing and Mm. is one version of it, if you're stealing from Coles or Woolworths, Mm. is it different to taking the same value monetarily out of a friend or a partner's wallet when essentially the behaviour is exactly the same but the person that you're doing it to is completely different? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And also Mm. because, like, obviously it's so personal when you steal from a friend you know what you're taking. You, I guess, kind of know the connection that person has with that money or that item. Mm. Yeah, It's so much more convoluted. But then on the other hand, friendship, it, you know, it, it requires work to maintain a friendship. So mm. like, is this not also just, would that not also just be another speed bump that you'd have to work mm-hmm. through as a friend? It's so hard. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to listen to yeah. that episode. Let's put the link <laughs> to that one in the show notes, please, Lindsay. Apologies for, yes, again, derailing that combo. No, but a good I feel one. like same kind of themes, right? Yeah. Totally. Annabelle, thank you so much for joining us here on Just The Gist. Uh, thank you so much for having it's me. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find you? Well, you can find my podcast, Everybody Has a Secret, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on social media, TikTok, Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I also have like a really shitty personal TikTok where I post like the worst photos of me dancing. Don't follow that one. That one's just for my eyes only. (laughs) But yeah, you can find me on social media. Terrific. Um, And any personal favourite, Everyone Has a Secret episodes that you'd recommend as a gateway drug for people who are getting into it for the first time? Should they start at the beginning or is there a specific episode you think will hook them in? You really don't have to start at the beginning. All episodes are kind of like designed to be uh, quite on their own. You can just pick the ones that you find interesting. My personal favourites, that is a tricky question. I love them all. I'd say the last episode of season one with Louis Hansen, there's an episode called The Best Man, which is just a lot of fun and we're mm. lots of giggles. And yeah, that's probably one of my favourite lighthearted episodes. If you want to give that a listen, that'd be great. Cool. All right. We'll pop that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See ya. 
Hey, hope you enjoyed that little story, Jisners. Uh, we've now got a little taste of the story you're going to be hearing about next week with our special guest, Jake Howie. And we are covering the topic of Mormonism. The who, the how, the what, the why, the when, the where. And here's a little bit of a clip now. Also, we've decided we want you to wear this really special underwear with sacred symbols. I've been waiting on it for this bit. at all times. Um, yes, it is a full length onesie. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it makes toilet time very tricky, <laughs> but it's worth it because it will protect you from all those nasty, nasty demons. What's it made from? What material? Cotton. Okay. And I'll show you an I'm image. Like, oh, that's <laughs> actually onesie. <laughs> Uh, We're both like, I might order some actually. That sounds good little winter ensemble. Okay. Okay. This is to keep people from having sex. Or touching themselves. The official reason is to protect you from demons that might try to attack you. So see the sacred symbols on the chest at about nipple level. And on the knees. To actually look like an L on a V. I was like, oh, Louis Vuitton. Is that? <laughs> but it looks kind of like a, um, a prison jumpsuit. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could argue that it was sort of oh. imprisoning them. So they had to wear that at all times, apart from when they were bathing. And yes, I think it did also have something to do with modesty. That's what it's been updated to within the last couple of decades. So you can get short sleeve versions that come in a two piece if you want to, because there were newer revelations where God and Jesus said, yeah. And it kind of, just for everyone listening, it kind of, the picture of this, of this man and woman, it looks kind of like what your nana and granddad would wear to bed, Mm. right? Like it's that kind of vibe of like granny, 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 grandpa pants. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Mormons you meet will be wearing that underneath their out clothing. All the Mormons we meet that take their clothes off for us. Yeah. <laughs> so many. <laughs> Listener.